This is The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast about women in film, starting from the early days of Hollywood all the way up to modern cinema. Take a journey with me, your host, Becca, as I explore all the different facets of filmmaking and all the amazing women making these films. Hello and welcome back to The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast about women in film. I'm your host, Becca. I hope everyone's staying safe, washing their hands, and wearing their masks. Don't care if you don't want to do it, it's something you should be doing. So like I said in the first episode about editors, this is just going to be our second main episode about editors because, well, the uh, it's a relatively more modern, well, n- not modern, but it's a relatively newer part of the film industry, so there aren't as many, uh, or there's not as much history to go back into. We're just going right into our modern editors now, which is great. Of course, as I mentioned before, the art of editing has always been a film profession that favors women, and naturally, once men started seeing that this was an art and not just a thing for women, they started getting into the editing scene. However, there are still a lot of women who are still working as editors today, and in fact, there are some directors who only exclusively work with women editors. Unfortunately, there is still not a lot of women editors who are working on bigger budget films, but there are a good amount of women who have edited or worked on some of the biggest films, so sort of a weird balance there. With there being more movies and content coming out more than ever, there is a lot more room for me to be working on these products and films, but it's just unfortunate that we're we're still not really seeing more women working on things. There's still sort of an imbalance. But a lot of women are actually working in television, too, so that's a good thing. Sadly, editing is not part of the industry that everyone notices. I mean, I guess that's a really good thing, uh, because you really only notice bad editing. But that doesn't mean those who practice the hidden art aren't as amazing and deserving of more attention. Uh, I might be a little biased, but uh, there's no finished film without your editor, so you're welcome. (laughs) Uh, But I know that, like, People aren't as excited about editors as maybe they are directors, cinematographers, writers, because editors are just, they're, we're like post-production goblins. We sit in the dark, (laughs) we we edit stuff, but I, we'd have it no other way. And if it weren't for us, you'd have no film, but whatever. (laughs) So let's just uh, get right into it. The first person we're going to talk about today is Verna Fields. And I mentioned her a little bit in the episode about Marsha Lucas, but here is a little bit more about Verna. Verna was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and her father then takes a job in Hollywood and transitions from being a journalist to a screenwriter. She graduated from University of Southern California with a BA in journalism, and she then had several positions at 20th Century Fox, including being the assistant sound editor on a Fritz Lang film, The Woman in the Window, in 1944. In 1946, she married the film editor Sam Fields and stopped working for a while, uh, clearly this doesn't last long, and she does really tend to come into her own during the new Hollywood phase. And she t- actually goes back to work because her husband dies at a relatively young age. The first phase of her career from 1954 through about 1970, Fields mostly worked on smaller projects that gain a little bit of recognition. She installed a film editing lab in her home so that she could work while her children were young, which is awesome. She was also the sound editor for several television shows in the 1950s. She worked on independent films, and her first credit for sound editor was on Fritz Lang's While the City Sleeps in 1956. She worked on the experimental documentary The Savage Eye in 1959. The co-directors Ben Maddow 
Sydney Myers, and Joseph Strick, and the other connections she made on the film were important to her subsequent career. In 1962, Fields won the Motion Picture Sound Editor's Golden Reel Award for the film El Cid that was directed by Anthony Mann. Her editing career began when director Irving Lerner recruited Fields to edit Studs Lonigan in 1960. Over the next five years, Fields edited several other independent films, but her best-known work at the time was the Disney film The Legend of the Boy and the Eagle in 1967. She also made documentaries funded by the United States government. And of course, you remember that she, rec- or not recognizes, she found um, Lucas, uh, both Lucas's, Marcia and George, while working on some of the government documentaries. She was a film editing professor at University of Southern California in the 1960s, her alma mater. Here's a little something that she was quoted as saying while she was a professor there. There's a feeling of movement in telling a story, and there is a flow. A cut that is off rhythm will be disturbing, and you'll feel it, unless you want it like that. On Jaws, each time I wanted a cut, I didn't, so that it would have an anticipatory feeling. And it worked. Fields edited Steven Spielberg's major film, The Sugarland Express, in 1974, and she became widely celebrated for her work as the film editor on Spielberg's next film, Jaws. Shortly after the completion of Jaws in 1975, Fields was hired by Universal as an executive consultant. Some reasons that Universal was hiring her can be gleaned from the fact that uh, during the filming of Jaws, in addition to her editing, Field had been an omnipresent at Spielberg's beck and call by means of walkie-talkie. Often she would shuffle back and forth on her bike between the producers in town and Spielberg at the dock for last-minute decisions. She was soon appointed as vice president for feature production at Universal Studios, being one of the first women to ever enter an upper-level management in the entertainment industry. So she is just all-around amazing. Fields established close ties with director Peter Bogdanovich, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg early in their careers and became known as the Mother Cutter. I love that nickname. (laughs) She gained recognition from the films What's Up Doc in 1972, American Graffiti in 1973, and Jaws in 1975, for which she won an Academy Award. Fields held her position at Universal until her death, and Jaws was the last film that she ever edited. Fields died of cancer in L.A. in 1982. In her honor, Universal named a building at Universal City, California lot, the Verna Fields Building, and it lies immediately across from the Alfred Hitchcock Building. I had no idea of this. I have been on that studio tour many times, and I really wish that someone would point that out, but they definitely point out the fact that it's the Hitchcock Building, um, or maybe I've missed it, but I hope that next time I go, I, I hear about Verna Fields. The motion picture sound editors sponsor an annual Verna Fields Award for student sound editing. The Women in Film Foundation, which honored Fields with a Crystal Award in 1981, currently gives the Verna Field Memorial Fellowship for Women Students at UCLA. Verna Fields was obviously amazing. I mean, she turned Jaws into literally the the first ever block. I mean, lots of people helped make it a blockbuster. But she created a masterpiece that is constantly spoofed and recreated to this day. And honestly, Jaws would have probably been a failure without her. Next up, we have Dee Dee Allen. She's known as the film editing doctor to the American movie studios and one of cinema's all-time celebrated Artur film editors. Allen was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and her mother was an actress and her father worked for the Union Cabrede. She enrolled in Scripps College in Claremont, California. 
Alan worked her way up as a production runner, as a sound librarian, and then as assistant film editor at Columbia Pictures. She edited commercial and industrial films before becoming a full-fledged feature film editor. It took 16 years working in the American film industry before Alan edited her first important feature film, Odds Against Tomorrow, in 1959. Well, it just goes to show you really gotta, you gotta work for that stuff. But hey, you know, sometimes it's nice to see you don't always you know, come out winning right away. That's always good. She worked closely and was uh, mentored by film director Robert Wise, who also had been a film editor himself, and he actually cut Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, and he ends up being a very big influence on her entire career. Alan pioneered the use of audio overlaps and utilized emotional jump cuts, stylistic flourishes that brought energy and realism to characters that until this point hadn't really been a part of the classic Hollywood film editing technique. Uh, continuity editing and screen direction um, became a low priority for her. She was really big into uh, taking European influence. And she was actually one of the first editors to emphasize sound as much as images. Alan is credited to bringing modernist editing to Hollywood, which she particularly displayed in the film Bonnie and Clyde and The Hustler. So she set the standard for rapid editing in uh, action films. And the American public began to recognize editing as an art form. And she was the first editor, male or female, to be credited at the start of a film in the film Bonnie and Clyde. Now, like I said when I was talking about Below the Line, that's amazing that someone actually got, uh, that she actually got that credit above the line. In 1992, she became the head of post-production at Warner Brothers Studio. And in 2000, she returned to editing with the film Wonder Boys, for which she was actually nominated for her third Academy Award. She is also known for Dog Day Afternoon, The Wiz, Reds, The Breakfast Club, and The Addams Family, which I just love that she's in the Ad- I love The Addams Family. Sadly, Dee Dee died on April 17th in 2010 uh, from a stroke. Up next, we have Anne Coates. Coates was born in Surrey, England, and her first passion was actually horses. And as a girl, she thought she might become a horse racer, uh, but that obviously didn't happen. <laughs> Before becoming a film editor, she actually worked as a nurse at a pioneering plastic surgery hospital in England. Uh, and then she decided to pursue film directing and started working as an assistant at a production company specializing in religious films. She like fixed their prints of the religious short films before sending them to various British church tours. Uh, This blazing work eventually led her uh, to get a job as an assistant film editor at Pinewood Studios, where she worked on various films. And her first uh, time editing as an assistant for a film was with editor Reggie Mills. Now, Pinewood Studios is a really, really big... um, studio in England, and I do believe they shot part of Star Wars there. Her career spanned over 60 years, and she edited David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia in 1962. She actually won an Oscar for this, and she's been nominated five times for the Academy Award for Best Editing for the films Beckett in 1963, The Elephant Man in 1980, In the Line of Fire in 1993, and Out of Sight in 1998. Her last editing credit was Fifty Shades of Grey in 2015. What an interesting filmography she has. Uh, she was awarded a BAFTA of the highest honor 
a BAFTA fellowship in February 2007 and was actually given an Academy Honorary Award in November 2016. Clearly being in the industry was in her blood since her brother was a producer, her husband was a director, her two sons were also directors, and her daughter is also now an editor, which is awesome. Coates did die on May 8th, 2018, but this is what she had to say about uh, being a woman in the business. In a way, I've never looked at myself as a woman in the business. I've just looked at myself as an editor. I mean, I'm sure I've been turned down because I'm a woman, but then other times I've been used because they wanted a woman editor. I think that's a really good way to think, look at things, and that's something that I've noticed uh, with a lot of these women. They're just like, well, it doesn't matter that I'm a woman. Like, whatever, I'm just doing my job. I don't think of myself as, like, being a woman editor. I'm an editor. I'm a, I don't think I'm a woman director. I'm just a director. Like, my gender has nothing to do with this. Uh, so... Um, I like that that's, that's a nice way to think about it. And up next is Thelma Schoenmacher. Schoenmacher was born on January 3rd, 1940 in Algiers and is the daughter of American parents. And she didn't actually move to the States until she was a little older and she had a really hard time adjusting to American culture. She strongly opposed the Vietnam War and was a strong supporter of the civil rights movement and actually originally wanted to work in government and passed every single test except the stress test that she did fail when she was discussing that her disapproval for the South African apartheid and uh, that her stress levels went up. While she was taking an art class at Columbia, she saw an ad for training to be an assistant editor and she took it. The job was assisting someone who was randomly cutting parts of European classic films to fit for time on American television. After this, she decides to take a six-week film course at New York University, where she actually met Martin Scorsese, who was looking for someone to fix a film that he was working on that was quite literally botched in the edit. Like he, whoever had been working on it before, literally cut the shit out of these uh, prints and you could barely actually like paste them together. At NYU, Schumacher also met filmmaker Michael Wadley and later edited his influential music festival documentary, Woodstock, and also Scorsese worked on that as well. And it was her work on Woodstock that gained Schumacher an Academy Award nomination for Best Editing. And working on this showed people that you could actually look at a documentary as being artful and that uh, you could be artistic when editing and creating a documentary, which is really great. It's documentaries, in case people don't know, aren't really just boring pieces. They are some of my favorite things to watch. She had a hard time editing uh, since she was not able to work on major motion pictures because she could not be a part of the Motion Picture Editors Guild. Since they wanted her to be an apprentice for five years, an assistant for two, that was just their qualifications to work in the guild and she was understandably upset about this since she was already working and nominated for an academy award so she had a lot of stress when it came to this and this is what she had to say about it and i couldn't just see why i who had been a full editor and had been nominated for an academy award should suddenly have to become an apprentice and of course they couldn't see the sense of why i who had never been in the union all those years and had never paid dues all those years, and had never served my time in their sense, should be allowed as a full editor. So it was quite understandable on both sides. It was just insane. However, in the 1980s, she was actually able to get in and it was admitted to the union after the, getting the help of Scorsese. Schumacher edited 
Martin Scorsese's first feature film, Who's Knocking at My Door, in 1967, and every film directed by him since 1980. She received Academy Awards for Best Film Editing on Raging Bull in 1981, The Aviator in 2005, and The Departed in 2007. Schumacher is the second most nominated editor in the Academy Awards history, with seven nominations, and she's tied with Michael Kahn, Daniel Mandel, and Ralph Dawson for the record of most wins in the category of Best Editing. In 2012, the Motion Picture Editor Guild published a list of the 75 best edited films of all time based on a survey of its membership, and three of the films that were edited by Schumacher with Scorsese are actually on this list. Raging Bull is actually the first listed film on the um, on this particular list, but there's also Goodfellas and Hugo. Only George Tomasini, the editor of Alfred Hitchcock's films, has more appearances on this list than Schumacher does. Up next is Lillian E. Benson. Benson began working in 1977, and she edited two episodes of Eyes on the Prize, which were nominated for an Emmy. She has 81 editing credits, holy crap, <laughs> including several feature films directed by African-American women, such as Akoya Chinzira's Alma's Rainbow in 1994, Christian Swanson's All About You in 2001, and Debbie Allen's The Old Settler in 2001. Benson was the first African-American woman editor to be a member of the American Cinema Editors, or ACE, and currently serves on their board of directors. She received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Black Hollywood Education and Research Center in 2017. Benson has edited many documentaries about the experiences of the Freedom Riders, Maya Angelou, John Lewis, and the Alvin Ailey Dance Group. In 2004, Benson made her directorial debut with All Our Sons Fallen Heroes of 9-11, a half-hour documentary about the firefighters of color who died at the World Trade Center, broadcast nationally on PBS. She just completed Amen, the life and music of Jester Harrison, an educational film about the internationally known choral arranger. She is also a member of the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences and the International Documentary Association. Up next, we have Carol Littleton. Carol Littleton was born in Oklahoma, and she attended the University of Oklahoma College of Arts and Sciences, obtaining her bachelor's degree in 1965 and her master's in 1970. And her obsession with film editing started in France when Littleton became acquainted with French New Wave cinema. And then during the 1970s, Carol owned a production company that made commercials, and she moved into working as a film editor with director Karen Arthur on Legacy in 1975. Her other work includes Body Heat in 1981, E.T. the Extraterrestrial in 1982, and she actually received an Oscar nomination for that, and The Big Chill in 1983. She actually won an Emmy Award for her editing on Tuesdays with Maury in 1999, and she's a member of the American Cinema Editors, as well as a member of the Board of Governors of the Academy of the Motion Picture Arts and Sciences from 1999 to 2002, and served as the president of Motion Pictures Editors Guild in the late 1980s. Littleton has an extended collaboration with director Lawrence Kasdan, editing nine of the 11 films that Kasdan directed. Other films she worked on include The Rum Diary, The Other Bolin Girl, The Manchurian Candidate, and What Women Want. Up next, we have Sally Menke. Menke was born in Manola, New York, and she graduated from New York University's Tisch School of the Arts film program and earned a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Film in 1977. After beginning her career editing documentaries for CBS, she received more film work in the 1990s, 
working on films like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Heaven and Earth, and Mulholland Falls. Mankey then met director Quentin Tarantino when he was actually holding interviews for an editor. Tarantino sent her the script for Reservoir Dogs, and she said that she thought it was amazing. So uh, Mankey actually was hiking in Canada when she learned that she got the job uh, working on Reservoir Dogs. She had a long-time collaboration with Quentin Tarantino and edited all his films up until she died, beginning with Reservoir Dogs in 1992, and she was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Editing uh, for Inglorious Bastards in 2009 and Pulp Fiction in 1994. Tarantino is quoted saying, The best collaborations are the director-editor teams, where they can finish each other's sentences. And he also says that Mankey was his only truly genuine collaborator. She was a member of the Motion Picture Editors Guild and American Cinema Editors. The Sundance Institute actually created a memorial fellowship in film editing to honor Mankey, and uh, Tarantino's film Django Unchained in 2012 was dedicated to her memory due to their long partnership that has now been lost. She unfortunately died suddenly in 2010 when she was out hiking due to a something involving the heat. She said she wasn't feeling well in the heat. Up next, we have Kelly Dixon. Dixon began editing professionally in 1990 as an assistant editor on feature films, including Goodwill Hunting in 1998 and Reservoir Dogs in 1992. She's also known for editing 16 episodes of Better Call Saul and 27 episodes of Breaking Bad, 5 episodes of The Walking Dead, and 7 episodes of Shameless. She clearly loves this uh, AMC stuff. <laughs> Uh, Dixon won an Emmy for Outstanding Single Picture Editing on Breaking Bad and has been nominated 20 other times for various editing awards. And here's a quote from Kelly. For an editor, sometimes things are hard, sometimes shows are hard, sometimes politics are hard, and you're not working with the people that you want to work with and stuff like that. But you know what? It's the best job ever. Editing is the best job ever. You're right, Kelly. Up next is Terlyn Shroveshire. So Terilyn has edited five films for Gina Prince Blythewood, including Love and Basketball in 2000, The Secret Life of Bees in 2008, and Beyond the Lights in 2014. For Cassie Lemons, she edited multiple films, including Eve's Bayou in 1997, and the highest grossing independent film of that year. Additionally, she worked on Miss Bala in 2019 for Catherine Hardwick, and she was on the editing team for the Netflix miniseries When They See Us, which was directed by Ava DuVernay, who we talked about uh, in the director's episode. She received an Eddie Award from the American Cinema Editors and has been nominated for Emmy Awards, and she's been elected as a member of the American Cinema Editors. Next, we have Marianne Brandon. Brandon is a member of the American Cinema Editors and is a frequent collaborator with J.J. Abrams and Mary Jo Markey. She and Markey were nominated for the Primetime Emmy Award for editing the television series Alias, created by Abrams, and they have since edited all of Abrams' films. Markey and Brandon were together on Star Wars The Force Awakens in 2015, for which they are both nominated for an Academy Award. Brandon and Mary Jo Markey co-edited Abrams' Mission Impossible 3 in 2006, Super 8 in 2011, Star Trek Into Darkness in 2013, and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, it's actually said that when she was editing Star Trek, she reported that neither the editor, neither, neither of the editors had been told that um, Abrams intended to make extensive use of the lens flares, which he's so famous for, 
and the bright lighting. So they both initially contacted the film developers saying, uh, hey, why is this so overexposed? Um, I think that's hilarious. Lastly, we have Mary Jo Markey, who is also a member of the American Cinema Editor Society and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and has edited films including The Perks of Being a Wallflower in 2012, and like we were talking about, is also a frequent collaborator with J.J. Abrams on his television shows. Uh, she worked on Felicity, Breaking News, Skin, and Alias, and was a chief editor on Lost. She has worked on all five of his feature films in collaboration with Maryam, and Marky won the Primetime Emmy Award for her work on Lost in 2005. And the last or the most current thing that she's worked on is Elizabeth Banks' Charlie's Angels. Uh, I think it's great. I had, I, I guess I've totally forgot to mention him when we were talking about editors who use, who frequently, or not editors, directors who you frequently use uh, women editors. So he's right up there. So he's Quentin Tarantino, it's Scorsese, and it's J.J. Abrams. And I mean, Spielberg also tends to use a lot of women editors. I do want to bring up one last time. We are still seeing a huge lack of diversity here which uh, I, most of these women are white, and, which is a shame because uh, I know that there are some amazing women of color editors out there. And now with more, like I said, more stories being told, more content being out there, there's more opportunity for all sorts of women to be able to be out there telling and editing together their stories. I didn't go as in depth with many of these, um, kind of like I did in the directors, the last directors episode, mostly because once again, there isn't a lot of information out there on them since they're more modern. But I also spent more time on the women who I could find more information on. And that's pretty much it for all the women editors. I'm trying to come up with some cool things where I interview an editor, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> I also do want to say, even though I finally got into a groove with recording these and editing these, they do take a lot of time and work and I do want to spend more time and energy on them than I have been. So I'm going to actually end up releasing these every other week, these episodes every other week instead. So thanks for listening. I hope you learned a whole lot about some awesome, amazing film editors. We are going to do a mini episode next week about Margaret Sixel, who edited one of my new favorite films, Mad Max Fury Road. Um, but until next time. This has been The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast researched, created, and edited by me. Special thanks to my dad, Mark Castaneda, for doing the music. 